Welcome to the Hindu's Pale podcast. I'm Zubeda Hamid, your host for today. Last month, West Bengal Chief Minister Mamata Banerjee asked the State Health Department to consider starting a shorter 3-year diploma course for medical practitioners who would then run primary health centers. The remark sparked a controversy, but this is not the first time such a proposal has been considered in the country. In 2010, the then central government had considered a shorter course for doctors to serve in rural areas, and even earlier, Chhattisgarh too had tried a model of rural medical course to work in underserved areas. The problem of a shortage of doctors in rural areas in India is not new and persists across states despite the country now having nearly 1 lakh MBBS seats. These shortages continue. In fact, the government's own statistics point to a nearly 80% shortage of surgeons, physicians, gynecologists and pediatricians at community health centers as of March 2022. Some states have tried compulsory rural medical service of their medical graduates. Others have tried various kinds of initiatives and schemes. Another problem lies in the fact that medical colleges in the country are unevenly distributed with some states possessing a large number and other states possessing very few. So will a shorter course help bring in more medical professionals to serve where they are urgently needed? Can our MBBS syllabus be shortened or pruned to make it serve the needs of rural physicians? Or will such a move erode the structure of medical education and lead to an even bigger problem of quackery than we have now? We debate these questions with Dr. Sudha Seshan, former Vice Chancellor of the Tamil Nadu Dr. M G R Medical University, and Dr. Soham Bhaduri, Health Policy and Leadership Specialist and Editor in Chief of the Indian Practitioner. Welcome to the Hindu's Pale Podcast, Dr. Sudha Seshan and Dr. Soham Bhaduri. Thank you, Zubeda. Pleasure Thank to you. be here. Thank you, Zubeda. Doctors, the West Bengal Chief Minister Mamata Banerjee's recent proposal to start three-year diploma courses for doctors who will then serve in primary health centers has sparked off a controversy. Tell us what you think about this proposal, Dr. Sudha. Yes, uh, Zubeda. I too read about it in the media. I think it's not a good idea to go in for this kind of a three-year diploma course. at this point of time in the history of the country there are many reasons to this reason one the three year diploma course may not train whomsoever is the trainee adequately to deal with conditions in the rural areas we tend to think that since there are not many doctors in the rural areas we could probably you know send in people who may spend less years in training but the uh, hardcore truth is that when they encounter situations which may require some kind of concentrated attention these three or uh, you know whomsoever it is will not be able to handle situations let's understand the rural setting will not have adequate facilities are we trying to say that is why we are trying to send in people with 3 years of training they'll not have adequate facilities infrastructure will be low there may not be even transport facilities and then uh, these uh, people are left with a situation where they'll have to really deal with an emergency or a critical care situation will they be able to do that i don't think so so that is one reason one of the major reasons that we cannot at this point of time 
think of a three-year uh, diploma. And I do understand these kids will come from the school. Uh, straight from the school, they'll get, uh, get to know certain things and uh, they may not be able to handle. And in future times, what is the status of these uh, so-called, uh, what doctors are they? Condensed doctors or uh, condensed medical professional or healthcare? On the contrary, we do have some of these paramedical staff like uh, physicians, assistant and so on. Maybe they can be trained a little better to deal with the emergency situation, something like a first aid, and then transport the patient or kind of, you know, take uh, appropriate medical relief, maybe move in some doctors there. That would be a better idea than to go for this uh, three-year diploma. Dr. Soham, would you like to respond to that? Uh, so, as we all know, uh, like there exists a general aversion among professional doctors uh, to practice in rural areas. It's not a new fact. We have known this for a long time and it applies across the states. Of course, uh, the experts uh, from across the fields, they uh, resort to information like the number of doctors we're producing. For example, I was reading one of the doctors who said that West Bengal produces about 5,000 doctors annually. So there should not be really a scarcity of doctors. But uh, we need to treat the situation a bit holistically and we need to understand that uh, it's not just about how many doctors we produce, but how we get them there, basically. So that entails costs. It entails costs to recruit doctors, to retain them, as well as to take into consideration the turnover. So it's a fiscal thing. It's an economics thing uh, when it comes to the ground. So coming to the West Bengal situation in particular, of course, uh, we can say that it's much better than many of the neighboring states of West Bengal. But having said that, the human resource situation, if you look at it, you'll find that uh, the number of doctors per capita, per 10,000 population, it's clearly below, uh, not just below the World Health Organization recommended numbers, but also below the national average. So yes, there indeed makes a sense in some way to drive uh, a cadre of doctors that is capable, if not of handling critical situations and emergency situations, but rather providing for, uh, the first level primary care to the rural countryside. But also having said that, the proposal, the exact proposal, the way it is worded by the chief minister, that is to train doctors for PHCs, primary health centers, I believe that is uh, a bit askew because if you see from the rural health statistics of 2022, West Bengal, at least on paper, has an has a surplus of doctors uh, when you compare it with the requirements. And also, as we understand, uh, it's imperative for primary health centers, which is uh, the most essential rung, so to speak, of uh, the healthcare infrastructure in this country. To, it should possess an actual doctor, an actual doctor who's fully trained so that they're able to attend to a host of conditions as well as to uh, supervise uh, the entire cadre of ground-level functionaries. So, uh, as I said, it's uh, for, uh, when it comes to the primary health centers, the proposal is a bit askew, but as Dr. Sudha said, uh, we can indeed look at a level of mid-level healthcare providers who function in sub-centers, which is a rung below the PHCs. And it, it has been, in, in recent times, promoted by the center as well. You know, the recent National uh, Medical Commission Act, it makes a provision for community health officers. 
So mid-level healthcare providers is something that we should be looking at. But in terms of PHCs, uh, it, it's bound to be a bit controversial. The idea to have a shorter course for doctors to serve in rural areas in order to meet the shortage of doctors in India is not new. In 2010 as well, the central government had proposed a similar course. However, there have been calls calling it a discriminatory move because we are then providing lesser qualified practitioners for rural populations and more qualified practitioners in urban settings. Dr. Sudha, what are your views on this? I would add uh, something more here. I do agree with uh, Dr. Sohan when he said like, yes, mid-level or the second level, you know, the level uh, beneath the primary health center. Probably there we could think of some kind of a mid-level healthcare professional, a community health officer or someone like a physician assistant or an allied health professional who can deal with the immediate situation but then also try and transport or either transport the patient or transport the uh, appropriate medical facility. Now the fiscal point uh, which was being raised like yes it, it does cost it is a little expensive to get the full-fledged doctor to the rural area but then that should not prevent the governance from uh, going into a kind of a situation like that. No, governance requires that uh, whatever is needed uh, for the uh, citizen of the country will have to be provided. Uh, and basic amenities, healthcare is basic amenity. That needs to be provided and fiscal reasons cannot be deterrence from uh, getting the rural public uh, into proper healthcare uh, system. Now, coming back to the point that you were trying to raise, that is, uh, it is a kind of a discriminatory thing for the rural uh, population to have a less qualified person. Yes, it, it becomes discriminatory on one side. On the other side, as I told you earlier, the health awareness amongst the rural population of India today is not very good, not up to the mark that it has to be. So many times the rural population is not aware of certain good things, certain healthy habits and uh, how important it is to maintain certain things. I'll give you a very, very simple example, a very bare example, uh, which probably does not even qualify to get into the uh, textbooks. But then uh, you give them some drugs. Okay, you treat them for something. You give some drugs to a patient. Fine, tell them you'll have to take these tablets or medicine for about five days. And uh, this is the course two times a day for five days. It is very common occurrence amongst the rural public that they stop the medicines in two days or three days thinking that they've become all right, they've become better or they don't have the means to get the medicine. They may not have uh, enough resources to buy or procure the medicine. So these are all issues which still riddle the country. And uh, without looking into these issues, we just cannot say someone who is less qualified. Think of it. Already health awareness is low. And uh, the rural public does not know how to carry themselves in such a situation. They will not even know how to protect themselves. 
So in such situations, you put in somebody who is a little less qualified just because we want to uh, think that everyone is given appropriate medical attention. Uh, I think it's it's not uh, a fair deal at all. Dr. Soham, would you like to respond to that? Right, right. So I do agree with Dr. Sudha on the point that uh, health awareness is deficient in the countryside. But there are two perspectives to note here. Number one, the sub-center level functionary, and I'm not just talking about the mid-level healthcare provider, but the entire range of healthcare professionals that serve at the sub-center. They have a very crucial role to ensure continuity of care, which is one of the pillars of primary healthcare. What you mean by continuity of care is that when a higher level doctor, say, for example, uh, one in the district hospital or uh, like across the, uh, uh, you know, the rungs of healthcare, when a, a certain treatment or intervention is administered to ensure adherence, these community health workers, as well as the lower level functionaries, they ensure that this happens. And uh, as, as, as you know, the ASHA cadre, the accredited social health activist, uh, one of the flagships of the National Health Mission, which was announced in 2005, they have played a tremendous role in improving the health awareness in the country. So that is one perspective. The second is the fiscal perspective. Uh, of course, we need to differentiate between fiscal realities on the one hand and the fiscal ideals on the other. There is no doubt that the state has a prime responsibility and a prime role to play in ensuring that everybody gets the highest attainable quality of care, which, of course, is the motto of universal health coverage. But having said that, the realities on the ground preclude us to be, you know, to choose between perfection and any solution at all. To quote Margaret Atwood in this situation, um, if I waited for perfection, I would never, ever write a word. So that's basically how it works. So in terms of the discrimination point, I'd just like to draw your attention to one of the uh, seminal judgments that have come in the way in terms of, uh, of course, as applicable to the situation. Uh, you talked about the BRMS proposal of this center, the Bachelor of Rural Medicine Surgery, which was proposed in 2010. We should note that this proposal was inspired by the intervention of Chhattisgarh. Chhattisgarh, which was created in 2000. And uh, at that point of time, they were a state which had probably among the lowest density of healthcare professionals. So in 2001, uh, a visionary step was taken to instill a cadre called uh, Rural Medical Assistance. So they started a program in Diploma in Modern Medicine and Surgery, which was, of course, of course renamed and rechristened a, a number of times in the face of opposition from the Indian Medical Association. In 2009, uh, after the course was discontinued, the cadre was renamed to Rural Medical Assistance. So what the Chhattisgarh High Court notes in response to uh, a case filed by the Indian Medical Association, particularly relevant to the point of discrimination, I'll quote the judgment. It says that it is pointed out that the state legislation has been necessitated because the state is having large extents of rural segments where no qualified doctor is available to cater to the needs of the patients. To facilitate extension of proper medical care to the needy public, some arrangements had to be made, at least to the preliminary extent. Accordingly, a policy decision was taken by the state. So if, if you say that we don't have the perfect solution on the horizon, and if you wait and you don't do anything at all, I mean, that engen engenders uh, an, an, an even bigger discrimination. So I believe 
The discrimination point is something that is primarily advanced by the organized medical community. And we know it's uh, sort of an ex uh, a reflection of professional solipsism, so to speak. Uh, I would like to respond here. All your points are well taken, Dr. Sukhan. But uh, see, one thing is, yes, there can be uh, never an ideal solution in a community which is growing, which is expanding. I do agree with that. And uh, the point that the uh, Chhattisgarh High Court gave is also well taken. Yes, there needs to be some kind of an interim arrangement, some kind of a preliminary arrangement uh, when uh, there are not enough uh, fully qualified doctors. Agree. But calling a kind of a course as equivalent to uh, the full-fledged medical degree, either MBBS or the Indian systems or whatever, whatever. Now, I, I have a point to make here. Think of these people in the future. On one side, the patients. One side, the population. Now, for the present, for the next few minutes, forget the population, forget the, uh, uh, the care receiver, but think of the care giver. Now, what's going to be the future of these uh, so-called uh, uh, whatever rural medical practitioners or whatever we call them? At some point of time, there would be academic discrimination and uh, there would be a large hue and cry and then suddenly someone will call for uh, equating this degree to that degree. Now, all that will ensue in the next decade or so. We've had, if you go back to the history, we've had, uh, you know, courses like LMS and so on condensed uh, MBBS, there was something called a Diploma in Medicine and Surgery, uh, DMS it was called, there was something like Licentiate. You know, in history as medical education was evolving, we've had all these. But then we are at a point of time where we cannot afford to have uh, differentiated degrees. Instead, the ideal thing uh, though not really ideal, the better thing to do now will be to train not only the mid-level but then uh, whatever the sub-levels that go along with and to uh, maintain a continuity of the healthcare like the ASHA workers, there can be a kind of a stream uh, either created or updated where the paramedical workers similar to the ASHA will be given additional training to handle situations on the ground. But then don't bring down the basic medical degree requirement. What an Indian medical graduate will have to know or will have to be uh, trained with, either it is the allopathic system of medicine or any of the Indian systems, we should not bring down that level. And then we are creating two different streams and there could be problems. I have no objection if we are trying to update some of these uh, allied health uh, science graduates or uh, any of these ASHA or mid-level or sub-level uh, community health officers, you know, call by different names. There are different streams in different states of the country. Uh, call them by different names or uh, unify everything, but then train them and maintain the continuity of the healthcare provision. And that apart, we need to bring in some kind of a system wherein we make our full-fledged 
medical graduates to realize their social obligation. Just because they don't want to go to the rural area now, I mean, these numbers, I think there are areas where we do have adequate medical uh, graduates, but then still we find the rural areas suffer from deficiency. Primarily because many of them don't want to go, they want to pursue their postgraduate system or whatever, whatever. We'll have to take some steps to motivate these people to get to the rural areas, number one. Number two, we probably will have to reinvent the family physician concept. We've lost the family doctor concept in most of the so-called advanced areas. Those days, the family doctor knew everything about the particular household, at least with regard to healthcare. And then was able to take decision or guide the family towards proper decisions. Today, there is no family doctor at all. And uh, many times, the individuals are not aware as to what they should do, what they should not do, whom should they consult and many things related. So somewhere down the line, it is necessary for uh, the people at the governance level, people at the higher echelons of the medical system, to kind of make people get into the family doctor concept or family medicine concept. Dr. Sir, that was going to be my next question in any case. What Dr. Sudha pointed out, which we produce at this point, we have about 1 lakh medical seats across the country as per the latest statistics. So we are producing between 90,000 and over 1 lakh medical graduates every year. But the problem seems to remain that most of them do not want to serve in rural areas. So would you, as Dr. Sudha just pointed out, there has to be some system to motivate them to serve or something has to be done in this regard. So Dr. Soham, would you like to respond to that and for both of you to respond to whether compulsory rural postings are helping in this direction? And Dr. Soham, would you also like to respond to Dr. Sudha's other points? Right, right. So do I go first in this case? Yeah. Great, great. So as Dr. Sudha said, her points are very well taken. She has given a very practical outlook to the situation. But having said that, as I mentioned in my first response, in response to the first question that you posited, uh, we are not looking at a cadre of doctors to replace uh, MBBS doctors in the primary health centers. We are primarily talking about a cadre of mid-level practitioners at the sub-center level. As I mentioned, the proposal to have an alternative cadre of doctors, it's, it's impractical, it's unnecessary at this point in time in the country's trajectory. Number two, when it comes to, um, like, of, of course, to give you a practical basis of it, uh, no matter how many doctors we, we produce, we can never imagine MBBS doctors to be placed at the sub-center level. So that is something that's going to require us the luxury of Western European nations and, and not even, even that's going to fall short of it. And if you see a primary health center, at least on paper, caters to 20,000 to 30,000 population. The realities of West Bengal are much poorer, so to speak. They, uh, each PHC could easily cater to a population of to one lakh. Okay, so to have a doctor at the sub-center level who is, who, if not perfectly trained, is workably trained to address the concerns is, I believe, a very important thing. Coming to attracting uh, doctors to rural areas, we have tried a lot of means over the years. And of course, Dr. Sudha mentioned about uh, motivating doctors to realize their social obligations. We know that when we, when we consider the macroeconomic picture, 
uh, this motivation factor is more of a qualitative thing which doesn't really work out. There has to be hard incentives and even the incentives have failed over the years. So as you know, the last decade or so, uh, starting from 2010, we have seen an unprecedented increase in the production of doctors in the country. And taking uh, that into consideration, the National Medical Commission has recently proposed that they wish to do away with the bonded service because a number of reforms in medical education have taken place and so on and so forth. I've argued in one of the previous podcasts, as well as in a number of, of my writings, that this may not be a good option because uh, in, in, in settings that are already deprived of doctors, the marginal gains that arise from having whatever number of doctors you can have through bonded rural service is, of course, higher. And uh, we should be looking pragmatically at ways to recruit more doctors, to attract more doctors into rural areas by doing the hard work that's involved rather than retaining them. Because retaining and recruitment are two totally different ballgames, right? And to have doctors retained in rural areas, it's not, it's not something that uh, is, is going to reasonably be possible for, for, for India, at least over the next 30, 40 years. Because ultimately, rural doctor shortage is a development problem. You cannot equalize the two situations, uh, the rural and urban situations, unless uh, things uh, holistically and tangibly improve on the ground. Now, having said that, of course, in, if you want to improve the retention and uh, recruitment of doctors in rural areas, we need to focus on bundled interventions. Now, the WHO has produced a good body of evidence on this. And uh, Chhattisgarh, of course, is uh, held up as a very uh, scintillating example of it as to how you could increase the uh, number of financial incentives, improve the living conditions, improve the infrastructure, as well as give uh, increased penalties. And uh, seemingly this strategy uh, of Chhattisgarh, also known as the Chhattisgarh Rural Medical Corps, this has worked very well. Dr. Sudha, would you like to respond to that? Why do we have such a problem with students not wanting to go to rural areas? And does do systems like the bonded uh, bonds, compulsory medical bonds work? Uh, I do agree that, uh, you know, retention may not be a good proposition. Retention in the rural areas may not work out. But recruitment is a different thing. Maybe, you know, uh, we would have to think of a system where there is an ongoing kind of, you know, uh, somebody comes into the rural service, serves for, uh, you know, whatever number of years, and then gets out of that system, goes into higher studies or whatever specialization or whatever they want to do. So continuous chain of doctors in the rural area. That would be a better proposition than to, uh, try and retain whomsoever is that. That's one of the reasons like uh, uh, why not many young graduates want to uh, go to the rural area. I've uh, dealt with these candidates. I've been a medical teacher for many years. So I've noticed like they would not want to go to the rural area, rural service at all. They would not want to sign for that for the simple reason. They are a little scared that they would get stuck there for ages. So we'll have to create a system where there is a continuous chain. Yeah, somebody comes in, it is a kind of, uh, you know, the movement uh, system. You come into the rural area, maybe serve for two years or three years and then get out of it. Uh, that should be a better proposition than we'll have to devise ways. Yes, it has not worked out. 
uh, we've tried motivating uh, several uh, systems of motivation have been tried but it has not worked out but then that is not the reason we just cannot say okay we failed and then we leave it you know when i think of it i also think of it the other way you don't create an alternate uh, cadre of doctors just because the regular doctors don't want to go to the rural area what would happen you create an alternate cadre now yes it's kind of you know acknowledging that the full fledged doctor need not go to the rural area are we kind of giving them an information that uh, we will not mind if you stick to metros and uh, cosmos cities that would increase the problem that would uh, create a larger divide right kind of complacency will set in the full fledged doctor if i am a full fledged doctor and then you tell me i don't have to go i am creating an alternate cadre for you for you to relax in the comforts of your luxury and uh, i am taken that is all that's the end of it so we should not create an alternate cadre of doctors as dr sohan said creating an alternate cadre of doctors is not a good proposition but updating and you know uh, enhancing the skills of the uh, subcenter level workers asha level workers mid level workers will be a good idea not primary health centers to be manned by these alternate cadres we have to devise ways probably we can learn from chatisgarh or from some other models also wherein we'll have to make people serve in the rural area rural area and urban area divide can be there in other socio political uh, spheres of activity it cannot be there in the uh, healthcare system if we are trying to say our rural population will not get Uh, sufficient healthcare primarily because they are in the rural area uh, we are defeating the goals of democracy so i don't think so that should be uh, taken that way we probably will have to sit down and devise some ways yes collective intelligence all uh, uh, minds come together think of some solution and bring in that solution so we're just to add very very briefly within a minute to what dr sudha said i totally uh, take the points that dr sudha has uh, alluded to of course uh, there are two things here number one uh, the evidence that concerns you know the employment of uh, mid level practitioners if you look at the short term courses across the countries you take the developed countries developing countries the evidence is in favor that these uh, if, if you'd like to call the mid level practitioners they provide care of a quality that is largely equivalent to doctors so the uh, accusation that uh, rural and urban areas are being held up to two different standards of care at least at the subcenter level that would not really apply in that situation and numbers number 2 legislatively speaking you of course know about the assam act and how it was struck down by the high court and maintained by the supreme court so legislatively speaking uh, creating an alternative cadre of doctors at the state level is something that is not uh, really allowed by our law because uh, there is already a parliamentary uh, legislation on that and of course multiple acts have been challenged on that basis so primarily what the debate should be focused on is basically on the mid level practitioners at the subcenter level which i believe is a very important requirement today 
So just to be clear, Dr. Soham, you are for a mid-level shorter course doctor being allowed to practice at health sub-centers. Absolutely. We can't call them doctors. As, as Dr. Sudha said, physician assistants can be a generic term to be applied to that cadre. They would work under the broader supervision of medical doctors working at primary healthcare center level. Right. Going back a little bit to what both of you all had pointed out earlier, both Dr. Sudha, you and Dr. Soham had also said, we used to have systems such as these, the LMP system, for instance, where uh, we had shorter courses for um, practitioners in rural areas. Uh, there have been some who have said that the syllabus right now for MBBS may have several aspects that are not necessary for doctors practicing at rural health centers. And so these shorter courses are possible. What are your views on this, Dr. Sudha? Technically speaking, or uh, looking at the situation in closed view, probably, yes, these Shorter courses might help and uh, yeah, technically you're right that uh, all that goes into the MBBS curriculum or syllabus would not be required for these uh, rural practitioners. But looking back at history and the kind of difficulties that we have had, the kind of unrest that we have had amongst the medical fraternity, the kind of disparities that have gone in, and given the consumerism that goes into healthcare now, uh, I think these short-term courses to create an alternate cadre of doctors should not be thought of. We should learn from our history. We've had enough and more. So alternate cadre of doctors should not be our aim. But then like physician assistants or nurse practitioners as some of the European countries have, that kind of a cadre can be created. They will work under a appropriate, full-fledged medical supervision. They will report probably, you know, once in a week or once in 15 days uh, to a full-fledged doctor and there would be someone who will supervise and take things on ground. And with consumerism coming into the health sector, I think we'll have to probably think of the protection to these practitioners, protection to these alternate uh, uh, doctors. Don't call them doctors, call them by a different name and let people understand that they would have to take medical super supervision on and off. Dr. Soham, um, so would, do you think there, is, uh, there, there are aspects to the MBBS syllabus uh, that are not strictly necessary for people who would want to practice in rural areas? Right. So basically to sum this up, uh, we can delineate two broad goals of medical education. One of it is, of course, in the service of the country. Uh, keeping in mind the national health requirements. So when the country is producing doctors, of course, that is directed to addressing the needs of the country. So that is one perspective. The other perspective is the academic perspective. From the country needs perspective, of course, uh, uh, there are a number of redundant uh, elements in the current MBBS curriculum which can safely be dispensed with. But having said that, the second goal, which is the academic goal, is also important. Doctors, we can't just have doctors who serve national health goals and they don't go on to do specialization. So when we talk about making 
the curriculum, the MBBS curriculum more customized to the national health needs holistically. We are basically talking about compressing the syllabus and not really of pruning it. So in that in that vein, I have an example of uh, the United States to give. If, if you go back to history and you find uh, that during the Second World War, the U.S. Uh, adopted a policy of a similar kind. They actually uh, started accelerated medical training programs, three-year MD programs. The MD of United States is equivalent to the MBBS here in India. It's usually a four-year course, which was compressed to three years. Of course, it continued after the World War, which is after the 1940s, through the Vietnam War years, uh, until the 1970s, because the economic situation was starting to, uh, you know, collapse during that time, relatively speaking, in the United States. By the end of the 1970s, this program had to be done away with. The reason was not because the accelerated training graduates uh, were delivering any poor quality of care. The reason was that students themselves were frustrated because the amount, the volume of syllabus that we happened to compress within the three years, it forced many students to default, some to extend their courses by another year or two. It wasn't really a satisfactory experience. So, uh, and also, uh, if, if, if you scrutinize this further, you'd understand that in the United States, uh, one of the preconditions of taking a medical degree is that you do a pre-med. It's basically a sort of, uh, you know, a, a, a BSc, a BA in uh, basic sciences. That is something that is not permitted in the Indian scenario. You, you take it directly after higher secondary. So I believe, practically speaking, pruning the syllabus to a large extent is not uh, a good idea in the current scenario. Having said that, uh, as Dr. Sudha mentioned about nurse practitioners and physician assistants, uh, these are widespread in the United States, especially after 1980s when they have been given a, a good amount of autonomy uh, to practice medicine. And the evidence is overwhelmingly suggestive that these uh, cadres uh, deliver care that is equivalent to that of doctors. And in some aspects, uh, say, for example, in terms of patient experience, uh, the care that they deliver is at, uh, at times better than what MDs, full-fledged MDs provide. Right. Tackling this from another point of view, uh, one of the issues we have in India is the wide disparity in terms of the spread of our medical colleges as well. A few states have a large concentration of medical colleges. Many states do not have, have very few medical colleges in relation to their population. Is this something that needs to be tackled in order to address the shortage? Dr. Sudha? In a way, yes. The uh, density of medical colleges in certain areas is too high, uh, while in uh, certain other areas it's uh, low. But beyond all this, uh, apart from increasing the number of medical seats, but then if you see the total number of seats, we are turning around about a lakh medical students, medical graduates every year. And uh, indirectly, we are trying to say, like, you know, you stick to your own area or you remain in your area, specialize and go up and all that. So we kind of creating a social disparity. And uh, maybe we are not putting in the right kind of uh, medical ethics that needs to go into the minds of a medical graduate. Uh, I do agree, like, you know, we have numbers, we have this, we have that, we have the curriculum, all that. But then somewhere down the line, we're not trying to uh, put in the correct kind of ethical 
knowledge that has to get into the medical practitioner's mind. Maybe I am trying to sound a little too philosophical. Maybe I am not sounding very uh, pragmatic. But then uh, that is a hardcore truth that is hitting us. We've had situations in the past where the medical graduates compared themselves to the engineering graduates and said if they are earning at the end of four years, they get a job prospect at the end of four years, I need to get a job prospect the same way. So uh, that's a kind of a confused idea. Like, you know, you cannot uh, sacrifice your training for the sake of a job prospect. So all these are a little too complicated issues which uh, do have psychological and uh, socio-psychological uh, effects and impacts. So probably all this will have to be thought of. The number of medical colleges, maybe, uh, you know, the number-wise, we may have adequate numbers, but then the density-wise, yes, we'll have to do something to redistribute them or maybe increase the number in areas where there is a low density. Dr. Soham? Yeah. So, uh, yes, as you said, the distribution of medical colleges across the country is a concern. Uh, medical college distributions, it actually follows, you know, the general inequity patterns in this country. You, you see that most of these medical colleges are concentrated in the southern states uh, and some uh, further, uh, you know, forward states like Maharashtra and Gujarat. What exacerbates these patterns is further that, you know, at the level of the state, uh, uh, about 85% of the seats are reserved for candidates from within those states. So that basically basically initiates uh, a sort of a vicious cycle such that you don't just have a larger number of seats in those states, but also the seats are reserved for, for, for those from within those states. So yes, um, uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a very important policy question for us to address, and I don't think that uh, uh, purely private investments will be able to deal with it. Either it's going to be the government investments, as, as we see over the last decade, uh, government, government medical colleges have uh, shown a remarkable increase in numbers. So public-private partnerships to a certain extent and government investments will be required to redistribute the medical colleges. We have good examples from other countries. For example, talk about Myanmar. Uh, they have done a remarkable job uh, to redistribute nursing colleges, to uh, decentralize basically the, uh, the nursing education from the city of Rangoon. And it has shown great improvement, in uh, not just in terms of redistributing medical colleges and uh, having representation across the provinces, but also in terms of rural retention. Because as we know, much more than incentives, pecuniary or uh, you know intangible in uh, incentives, recruiting doctors from rural areas and placing them there is one of the evidence-based solutions to improve rural retention. So that's something we should be looking at. Last question uh, to both of you. Both of you all at some point uh, have pointed out that India, apart from its MBBS graduates, uh, about one lakh every year, also has thousands of Ayush doctors, doctors from the traditional medicine streams graduating every year. Is it possible now that the government is moving towards integrated medicine solutions? Is it possible for this cadre to help make up the shortfall? In the past, state of Tamil Nadu had tried not when it was state of Tamil Nadu, but then it was Madras presidency, a kind of an integrated system was uh, attempted. And that's how the uh, current Kielbock Medical College started as the College of Integrated Medicine, where 
some of the Indian systems, you know, some part of uh, uh, Indian medicine and some part of allopathic medicine were integrated. Uh, if I remember right, the graduates of uh, the integrated college studied materia medica of the uh, whatever Indian system they studied and the pharmacopoeia of uh, the allopathic system. But somewhere again, you know, when it came to implementation, uh, because of policy uh, revivals and uh, because of uh, a lot of uh, local opposition, it did not work out well. It would be a good idea to integrate, but then also kind of appraise of the borderlines. Today, several uh, allopathic practitioners do prescribe some of the remedies uh, which are there in the Ayurvedic and uh, Siddha systems. You know, when they prescribe some of these medicines, I would not want to give the uh, brand names or the market names. But then when they prescribe some of the uh, concoctions and formulations for uh, strengthening the liver tissue and so on, they are kind of prescribing some of the uh, proprietary medicines under the Ayurvedic or any other Indian system. But then there's also a kind of a hue and cry with uh, any of the Indian medical practitioner, like you know, Indian medicine, someone who is a practitioner of any of the Indian system of medicine prescribes any of the uh, so-called allopathic formulation. So uh, I think the appraisal, the, the kind of uh, appraisal of the borderline or the kind of uh, uh, appraisal of the integrated benefit will have to be uh, properly formalized and then think in terms of imparting knowledge on integrated system. That has to be properly worked out. It cannot be just like that done because we want to integrate just like that we cannot say okay come on integrate this and that. it has to be properly evaluated it has to be properly formulated and the guidelines given appropriately for the simple reason again patient benefit is the primary goal we cannot have areas where the patient benefit or the patient uh, health is at jeopardy so integrating it just because we want to say we have integrated should not be there, but it has to be properly formalized and then given. Dr. Soham. Great. So uh, taking it for forward from where Dr. Sudha dropped it. Um, yes. So alternative medical practitioners, uh, practitioners of Indian systems, it has been quite a controversial issue in the Indian case. Uh, as Dr. Sudha rightly mentioned both pre-independence, we had these uh, licentiates of Indian medicine were provided integrated training in allopathy and uh, alternative systems, as well as after independence, there were some schools in the immediate uh, post-independence era that provided such integrative training. Of course, uh, opposition, more of an active opposition from the allopathic community and uh, more of a passive-aggressive uh, you know, opposition from the Ayurvedic community too, ensured that they didn't see the light of the modern era. But having said that, uh, India's approach towards integrating these two systems has been rather uh, disjointed, so to speak. Because if you look at countries like China or uh, Japan, Japan, for instance, in 1883, 
when the, their health system was transitioning into a, a modern medicine. They made sure that all the traditional medical practitioners are trained, given temporary licenses, made to sit licensure exams, and finally integrated into the uh, integrated medicine uh, paradigm. So similarly for China, we all know about the barefoot doctors, uh, though, though not really doctors in, in, in the modern sense. But nonetheless, uh, initiatives were taken to integrate the training as well as the research of both these systems. Even now, if I'm if I'm not wrong, China does uh, have a system of integrated training. Allopathic tra- doctors train in modern med- uh, in uh, alternative systems. Alternative doctors uh, also train in allopathic systems. So to achieve common ground, we need to basically uh, streamline these two systems, as we know. Uh, to bring, practically speaking, alternative medicine in line with modern medicine, which is not always possible. We know that the research paradigms that we need to employ in all alternative systems aren't really in concordance with what uh, modern medicine uses, for example, randomized controlled trials. The par- paradigm of healing in alternative systems is it's a, b- a bit disparate with uh, allopathic systems, which is why primarily uh, integration has not been possible. But having said that, from a policy perspective, as you know, the mid-level practitioners, which are proposed by the NMC, the National Medical Commission, uh, the community health officers, the operational guidelines uh, allow uh, an Ayurvedic practitioner to take up the role of a mid-level provider. So that in, is, in a sense, integrating and formalizing them into the current uh, healthcare landscape. Of course, this is apart from the Ayush doctors, which are stationed in primary health centers in proper. We can only hope that incrementally as we go along, you know, such incremental steps will help integrate the two paradigms. But as far as, uh, the, uh, you know, the historical precedents are concerned, and especially the opposition that has been meted out uh, by the, uh, the allopathic community so far to breach causes, for these alternative doctors. Uh, I'm not very positive that uh, something uh, of an ideal integration kind could be uh, achieved in a shorter term. But let's hope for the best. Thank you so much, both of you, for being with me today. Thank you for your participation. Thank you so much, Zuveda. It's a pleasure to be uh, with you, uh, Dr. Suda. Thank you. Thank you very much, Zuveda. And uh, it was lovely, lovely uh, listening to you, Dr. Sohan. Thank you very much. Thank you so much.